We logged some recent viewings on the 2024 NHL Draft class. We'll talk about some OHL Flyers, some Swedish-based defensemen, and some late risers on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and on today's show, we'll be sharing our notes from some recent viewings we've logged for some players for the 2024 NHL Draft Class. We'll start off with some OHL Flyers. We'll talk about Jet Luchenko, Sam O'Reilly, Merrick Van Acker. In our second segment, we'll talk about some OHL, uh, some, some Swedish-based defensemen. Uh, we'll mention Alphonse Frey, Leo Salin Valenius and Dominic Badinka, especially, who's been having a pretty decent uh, middle of the season and could put himself in a late riser contention. And piggybacking off of that, we'll talk about some more late flyers. Uh, we'll focus a bit more on um, some some players that haven't been getting the limelight as as much recently, but could end up being really good players. John Mustard, Dean Letourneau, and Atos Koivu will be the subject of our final segment. But before I get into any of that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash on to get started. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to leave us a rate and review. Helps out the channel out a lot. And make sure to make us your first listen of the day. So let's get things started here with some OHL boys. Uh, we'll talk about Jet Luchanko first and foremost. Who, I mean, when he showed up in the first round on Bob McKenzie's rankings, I was immediately like, did I miss something? Like, I need to go back and watch him. Um, and I did. And I don't see the first round value. I understand why. I mean, I understand why scouts like him. I just, you know, it's weird because we're talking about Luke Misa being in like the 60s in the same rankings. And I'm looking at Luke Misa and I'm looking at Jet Luchenko and I, I had trouble seeing the difference in terms of their skill sets. But also I had trouble seeing what Luchenko brings to the game that Misa doesn't. Uh, but first, I mean, talk me through Luke Misa because I think we're both on the same page regarding him, right? Oh my God! I think we we certainly are. I, if anything, I might like him even more than you do, which is saying something because <laughs> you're a really big fan. Yep. Uh, Luke Misa is the embodiment of pace and is one of the most entertaining players in this draft class because of that. He is really, really intense, and he brings that intensity, a level of skill and dynamism and creativity that you don't see too too often all in one package in a draft eligible player. Especially when you also throw in a pretty solid defensive toolkit as well. He's really smart. And it has a very, very clear idea of how he wants to impact the game. Uh, but like, especially comparing him to other OHL forwards, I have not personally seen any OHL forward this season that he's even come close to like that level of like personal interest in it, in overall projection and and caliber that I think that he that Misa could become within like what like three years at the NHL level. Even I don't think it's going to take too too long for him to become impactful, but. On Bob McKenzie's list, Jet Luchanko is like what, like, well over, like four. He's like forty spots ahead of uh, of Misa, which is 
a lot or even 50 right like a lot he's, he's way he's way above him but uh what, what's been your takeaway with, with Luchenko and why do you think that he may be so much higher on this board compared to a player like Luke Misa yeah so Jed Luchenko is listed at let me check uh 510 165 on the Leaf Prospects website that's wrong that's just purely wrong he, he's he's definitely like six foot maybe even six foot one hundred he looks like 175 180 pounds so he's definitely bigger than he's listed and watching him you can understand kind of the the combination of good skating good passing decent hockey sense and especially the motor um that combination is pretty good especially when he's chasing players on the forecheck making plays um you know uh, in the offensive zone that'll help his team recover the puck like you can see how he's he's an above average processor of the game with a good motor but my issue is I don't see much of a standout skill, and he especially struggles with being a bit more of, of that dynamic element. Um, he has trouble corralling pucks in motion, which makes it really difficult for him to string plays together at a high speed. Uh, I'm talking about the on-puck play, of course, because off the puck, it's it's the, the pace is there. It's just when, he gets the, when his team gets the puck, it takes him an extra half second just to kind of collect the puck and choose his next option. And... That I don't see that issue with Misa already. Like Misa's already way ahead of him in that respect, right? Um, but overall, I mean, there were some very slight concerns. I feel like he flies by a lot of his checks instead of stopping in spots. So th that's a good that's a good technique in order to conserve energy. But when you're playing in 45 second shifts, you have to stop in your spots. You have to identify like I can't just fly by this check. This defenseman's too good and it's just going to get around me. Um, at the NHL, that doesn't fly. So it's just, there's small details like that. I don't see the first round value, but I definitely see the second round value. I think that Jet Luchenko would be a great option in the in the 45 to 65 range. I think that, you know, the mid to late second round is exactly where I'd have him for the moment. Um, but I didn't see much in this game that made me really confident in his projection as a first round pick the way he is on Bob McKenzie's list. And again, this is this isn't Bob McKenzie's opinion. This is this is the opinion of like 10 scouts that he's polled and taken information from, which is really confusing to me because I feel like he's not the type of players NHL scouts usually go for. Um but speaking of which we can move right on to Merrick Van Acker, who uh was also fairly high on Bob McKenzie's list. I think it was in the 40s. Um and I didn't really see it from Van Acker, and I, and I purposefully chose a game in which he scored two goals. Nick Lardis, who's his teammate and probably the best player on the Branchwood Bulldogs, is out long-term. And um, Van Acker have a, had a great opportunity in the top six on the top power play. Apart from the shooting and the physicality, I think everything else was below average. He's not a really good processor of the game. He's not a really good defensive player. His motor's not really high-end. He's not dynamic. He's not a good skater. I There's... The, the the gap between him and Luke Misa is massive, but it's massive in Misa's favor, not in Van Acker's. And Van Acker's appears higher on Bob McKenzie's list than Misa. So that was just absolutely baffling for me. Um, I didn't understand that one. But yeah, does that remind you of anyone? A player who's just a really good shooter, decent physically, but kind of below average everywhere else? I mean, Emil Hemming comes to mind pretty quickly there uh, as as a European comparable. But I mean, Van Acker is on a really hot stretch right now. So like, I can see why he's a little bit higher because the rankings are coming out right now. In his last 10 sure. games in the OHL, he has 10 goals and 16 points, which certainly draws some attention, especially in the absence of of an offensive player of the caliber of Nick Lardis. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I think a player that I've personally been a little bit more intri intrigued in and in, in some passing viewings that it's 
also been who's also ranked more highly than Luke Misa on Bob McKenzie's board is Sam O'Reilly of the London Knights, who is a really well-rounded forward and fits in really nicely with that forward core, which has a couple of just really intense but also quite intelligent and like very middle-driven players, guys like Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan, uh, very very quickly come to mind there. But what's been your impression of Sam O'Reilly, especially in that system in London of such a powerhouse team? Has he been able to really stand out compared to his teammates, or is it more just a thing that he's playing like on par with them, and that's the impressive part of his game? Yeah, so in in this viewing, I saw Sam O'Reilly a lot in kind of the second or third line. He was oscillating between the two and. You know, it's so evident anytime you watch him, this is a really intelligent player with really good off-puck habits and anticipation. Like he he's he's really poised as well. Like he's not going to take himself out of place. He's comfortable sitting back, letting play develop and intervening at the right times. His offensive brain is probably his best asset. Actually, almost definitely his best asset. Outside of that, the skating was decent, but not overwhelming. Um, I thought it was even slightly below average for what he's capable of doing. Um that he's not really much of a shooter. He's a lot more of a pass-heavy player. Um, and you can see that in this game. I mean, the the, the goal he... The, the assist he got in the game that I watched, he it was a penalty-killing assist where he hopped off the bench, went straight for a puck battle, won it against a big defense. I don't remember if it was Oliver Bonk or... I don't remember if it was um, Hunter Bustavitz or... Uh, uh, or, or Matthew Andonovsky, but either way, like a, a really good defenseman. He won the he won the, the puck battle against him and immediately knew he could it, it felt like he could feel Easton Cowan's breath on his back, just like immediately swung around and passed him pass it right on his stick in the slot and an instant goal that way. So yeah, just the, the processing's really good, the poise is really good, but he's not dynamic. So if you're getting him, you're getting him as a two-way forward, um, who kind of tops out as a like a fringe second line, mostly third line player. And if you get that in the second the second round, that makes great sense. But I just don't see the top forty value yet. Maybe I could be swung on that, but I'm not as sold for the moment. But there are options up for a first segment about uh, some OHL players that have stood out in recent viewings. Uh, we'll talk about some Swedish based defensemen. We've got three of them: Alphonse Frey, Leon Sal- Leo Saling Volenius, and Dominic Bedinka. We'll get into that right after th- these messages from our sponsors over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, that you can spend on anything, ranging from spreads to player props to over and unders and far more. Whether you want to bet on your favorite team to go all the way and win the Super Bowl, or or maybe your favorite quarterback to throw for a couple of touchdowns in the next game, the choice is yours with FanDuel. I know I personally love using single-game parlays uh, when I'm personally going to live games just to make the action a little bit more intense and to feel fully in it uh, with the crowd. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Alrighty, so moving on to some Swedish-based defensemen uh, for a 2024 NHL draft uh, uh, scouting notebook. We'll start off with Alphonse Frey, who I think you have been the champion of, and you've turned me around on. Uh, so take it away on Alphonse Frey. Talk me through what you like in this game and what's been really impressive in recent viewings for you. 
Alphonse Frey is a ton of fun. Uh, he's a really mobile uh, left shot defenseman um, who loves to have the puck on his stick. And and that's, that's really what he's best at. And especially at the J20 level, he's able to dictate play offensively and in transition to a level that you don't really see defensemen usually being all that proactive and doing, especially when they're draft eligibles and still playing at the J20 level. Like usually those types of defensemen are already getting a decent amount of games at the Allsvenskan or the SHL level. But Alphonse yeah. Frey has just been simmering along uh, at the J20 and he's looking really, really good in doing so. I'm a really big fan of his puck skills. He's a really strong passer, very strong puck handler. The offensive sense is really, really good. He opens up space for teammates consistently and is constantly in motion trying to create things trying to to, to poke holes into defensive structures and uh, he's very persistent in doing so even when his teammates uh rarely are quite able to to fully maximize uh and leverage the space that, that he's creating for them at this level of play uh, but he just keeps doing it anyways and uh, he's quite composed and dynamic as well and that, that that's a combination that i personally am always quite fond of when players are able to layer all those different and quite complex offensive tools on top of one another for a pretty cohesive and well-rounded offensive game uh but the defensive game still needs a bit of work uh, he can he can tune out a little bit and, and get a bit like tunnel visioned on the puck carrier and miss secondary threats coming in he's not going to be the defenseman that you rely on to to clear the net front but he is the player that, that you just want to get the puck onto his stick uh, in the breakout and allow him to kind of lead the rush. And he's very dependable in doing so. So as long as he's paired with a player that can do some of that more dirty defensive work for him, he's a really, really solid bet and, and one that I've uh, grown increasingly fond of as the season's progressed. For sure. And what about his, uh, his teammate, right? Leo Salin Vanellius? Yeah. yeah, they're on the same team. Uh, I've heard some very mixed bag reviews on him. I've seen people say that like he's a defensive player who struggles offensively. I've seen guys say that he's an offensive player who struggles defensively. A lot of people in the middle, like I'm, I'm having a hard time getting a read on him, even, even in the games that I've seen of his. So what's your take on him? He's not been the easiest player to get a read on, that's, that's for sure. Like yeah. I've, I've definitely like he played on the same team as Alphonse Frey, and Frey is the one that regularly stands out as more convincing as an NHL prospect to me personally. But Salim Valenius has a fluidity in layering all of his tools together that Frey also has that also makes him quite fun to watch. And at his best, I think the offensive creativity is is even better than phrase but he's not nearly as as decisive or composed with the puck on a stick he is a lot more chaotic and and he can really miss a beat and if if, if he mishandles a puck everything kind of just starts falling off uh so he relies on things continuing to go smoothly for him to to play at his at his best whereas phrase a lot more adaptable in terms of reacting quickly and efficiently to when things go awry which happens all the time in hockey especially at the j20 level uh, so so Valenius is a lot more inconsistent, and I've definitely had viewings where the defensive game has been better than the offensive game. I'm just a lot more confident in him being able to leverage his offensive toolkit to being impactful at the NHL level compared to his defensive abilities because yeah. he does have a lower panic threshold defensively because he does rely on a real steadying presence on his defensive pairing. Like there's a reason you don't see Alphonse Frey and Leo Salim Valenius playing all that much together at five on five. And it's not just because they're both lefties, uh, but uh, he's, he's a lot of fun. I, I think he, he's a bit, a bigger like 
swing where you're not getting anything guaranteed. I think with Frey, you have a decent enough shot. At, like at at the very least, you're getting like a number five or number six, like transition heavy player. Like like mm. if 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 Frey can like develop into a player like that, like along the lines of a Jordan Harris with more offensive impact but less defensive impact. I could see that happening as a decent level of floor if he does like make it at the NHL level. Whereas yeah. with uh, with selling Delenius, it's wide open of possibilities. But the ceiling might be a smidgen higher than it is with Frey. Oh, for sure. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the the mixed bag uh, element of all this is like there's a lot of unpredictability to selling Valenius like skill set. He's a player who. One game will give you great offensive results, poor defensive results, and then the next game will give you the complete opposite. So I, I fully get the confusion regarding selling Valenius, and I think developing that consistency could help him out a lot. But where do you think he ends up in the draft? He, he's a he's a classic second round swing in terms of a Swedish defenseman who's really mobile, uh, has some really nice flashes of skill. Those are yeah. players that typically go in the second round, and mm -hmm. we'll see how high he goes on day two, right? Like he might be the player that like Detroit just picks at like thirty eighth overall, like they do every year with the Swedish defenseman, or yeah. maybe he drops a bit further just because of like the the risk assessment gauge is still definitely a work in progress with him compared yeah. to other players in this range, but. Uh, very much a second round caliber player in my eyes for sure and then we have dominic bedinka who we've both watched recently and are kind of on the same page on regarding like just a a, a clear candidate for a late riser um i wouldn't be surprised to see him end up in the first round uh by the end of the year he's just been i mean he started off the year i think in the j20 and then worked his way up to shl games and yeah. has been pretty consistent in the shl games and obviously it's malmo like malmo is not necessarily a high-end program but sure. um there's still i mean that's still an shl team and he's been doing fairly well as a right-handed a big mobile rangy right-handed defenseman who defends aggressively and physically um and has an extreme level of fluidity to him um i i still think the passing is still an issue like it's not nowhere and it's not anywhere near where it should be um but just the way that he goes from defending to attacking the fluidity and his skating in, in, in all four directions and just there's a lot to love here and i feel like teams are going to slowly but surely fall in love with the toolkit here right for sure like I, I i mentioned this in last like one of the last episodes that he his toolkit reminds me a decent amount of david reinbacher's before he became a consensus first round pick and i'm, I'm not trying to say that Padik is going to go fifth overall or that he, he should be a top 15 talent or anything along those lines just yet like i we need time we need to we need, we need to really simmer on, on these takes but yeah uh, he he's really fascinating and the profile itself like in isolation is very similar to Reinbacher's in terms of being this like hyper mobile defensively uh, consistent defenseman like big right shot D whose puck skills are a clear weakness the handling is a real limitation really locked top hand for both players they're both righties of course uh, and whereas with Reinbacher the passing is a a standout positive with Badinka, it is still becoming that I, I can see it trending in that direction i think that the the breakout passing itself is a strength but the overall and like three zone passing ability especially when it's more in tight quarters is certainly more of a work in progress but he's a really fascinating case study and there's a reason that he is 
quite like quickly gaining the confidence of his coaching staff at the SHL level. Like Mamre is not the strongest program in the SHL, but they're still fighting to not be relegated, right? Like they want to stay in that competition and they're not going to just like without reason uh, play an 18 year old, like 16 to 20 minutes a night on a pretty consistent basis this entire year. And they've been doing that with Badinka and I can really understand why. Like I think I'd be playing him a similar amount of ice time if I were coaching that team, because he really is, like his risk assessment gauge is a, is a lot more refined than guys like Leo Salin Valenius, for instance. Like he gets yeah. back in time consistently when he goes for something a bit more daring in the offensive zone, where it's usually off puck daring, where he's trying to rotate off puck, try to really like like force defenses back, create space for his teammates. But he is then also taking a risk of getting further up in the offensive zone when the puck could go back the other way. But when it does, he gets back in time because he covers so much ground and he's constantly, his head is on a swivel. He's really aware of his surroundings and really aware of when a play goes awry and when he just has to get back as quickly as possible. So yeah. I, I, I like the profile a lot. I think he's a player that will likely end up going in the first round come draft day just because this is a profile that every single team in the NHL is like desperate to add to their coverts at all times. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a player that I think I'm personally going to, uh, make a bit make a bit of a fight for to have inside our top 32 come our next Dobber meeting, which is coming up in in, in about a week's time. Absolutely. Uh, that wraps things up for our second segment. We'll talk about uh, some potential late risers in a variety of leagues here coming up in our third. Um, and that's coming up right after the arm, these messages from our sponsors over at Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's actually to match, and you can match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. They're a great matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. One of the things I loved about Indeed when I used it in order to get a job um, was that it's so user-friendly. It's really easy to, to get a hold of companies, to, to send in your application, and to make sure that companies know that you're a great match for their company. And it helps you really kind of sift through the mess and choose a job that makes sense. The qualifications are clear and obvious. Um, they make sure that you know exactly what your pay range is. And overall, make it really easy for, for, for me as, a, as an employee to get, uh, to get hired. So I can only imagine how easy it is for the people actually offering up those jobs um, to, to find quality people for their for their job there. So listeners to this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash locked on. So you just go to Indeed.com slash locked on right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Again, that's Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply, but if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Alrighty, so let's close things off with our final segment here about some potential rate late risers. I've identified three here. Well, we have, um, and there's two of them that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interested in that I would, I would like to see rise quickly in the 2024 draft. And the third one, I know he's going to rise quickly, and I know he's going to get drafted higher than he should. So let's start with the the players that we like. Um, so first, John Mustard. John Mustard is, first of all, one of the best names in the draft, uh, but also just a really interesting case in a player who, you know, we see this a lot. There are really good players that end up in kind of average programs in the USHL, like Waterloo, Youngstown. I mean, Youngstown won the, the, the Clark Cup last year, but I'm talking more about 
you know, Youngstown, um, uh, Sioux City, Sioux Falls, like there's a lot of different programs in the USHL and some of them will pop up just a really good player that outperforms his team and does really good on a nightly basis. And for me, that's John Mustard. Um, he plays that power forward style. He pushes inside in, inside contact and cuts to the middle often. He's also pretty engaged defensively and gets back fairly well. Um I'd say it's the slightly above average element of his game, but what's really, I mean, a ma- major standout in, in John Mustard's game on a nightly basis is just the fact that, you know, he he plays a lot bigger than he is with a lot more intensity than he does, uh, than, than he has, um, than, than other players have. So, I mean, overall, there's so much to love about Mustard's game. I think he's flirting with first round value at this point. Like, I think that's a fair assessment of his game. Um, and I remember seeing him at 32nd overall on Tony Ferrari's rankings um, about a month or two ago. That was, I remember watching a game of his and being like, oh, this guy's pretty good, but I'll give it some time. And I've given it some time, and now I see where Tony Ferrari is coming here with uh, with John Mustard. I've been fairly impressed. But another player who's been who's been kind of climbing up rankings slowly but steadily has been Atos Koivu. Um, do you want to talk me through his game? For sure, like Saku Koivu's son, so he's yep. already hockey royalty before even getting drafted. Uh, but he he's been steadily like like rising in in terms of overall rankings for for the twenty twenty four draft for the last like four or five months like coming into this draft cycle he wasn't really expected to be anything more than like maybe a seventh round flyer but he's really really developed his game quite a bit in the last couple of months he's becoming one of the more lethal like power play scorers at the u20 level in finland he is second in points per game among draft eligibles in that league behind only emil hemming who's only played 10 games but he has like 10 goals and seven assists in those in those games because he's just a a goal scoring powerhouse uh but atos koivu while he, he lacks the same level of tool as hemming in terms of the shot he's a lot more intelligent with how he uses his shot he uses it to open up space and especially at the u20 level he's really able to do that well he's played a couple games at in liga and there it's definitely been a bit a bit more difficult for him in terms of uh of of the pace at which he has to make decisions because because like the u20 level in finland is really not a league where you need even an ounce of pace to create offense so you really don't rely on that at all because there's so much time and space at all points in the offensive zone and uh koivu has really been able to refine his toolkit in the confines of that league but in the couple league of viewings i've gotten it's been certainly it's been a lot more challenged but what I have seen in those viewings has been a player who looks a lot more cohesive and less of like your typical all-rounder does everything decently well player that you usually see in junior context when players aren't being challenged enough instead I saw a player who had a really really solid release and was able to use it really intelligently and was able to to to, to, to integrate delays into his play to to create some space for his line mates he's quite cerebral uh that said the handling which is a strength at the junior level is struggling to translate to the pro level just yet because while he's still able to get off a really good first touch to get the puck into space where he's able to maneuver a bit that space just crumbles within a second or two and he's not quite used to that just yet so while Kobe Bussell has to adjust to like like a, a pacier environment I am quite a big fan of the combination of the cerebral nature and the, the 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 couple quite solid offensive tools but the defensive game isn't the biggest strength there's certainly a couple things that he he, he needs to, to work on quite a bit before he's like a, a, a top 64 option like to me right now he looks more like a, a third rounder maybe a 
fourth rounder, kind of in that range. But the junior production certainly inspires some confidence in the offensive toolkit. And the adjustment to Liga is a work in progress. But I've, I've seen like most players that make that transition struggle a lot more in their first couple of games than I saw Koliku struggle. So he, he's quite he's quite interesting. For sure. And speaking of players who are, who are probably going to struggle adapting to a new level, uh, that brings us to Dean Letourneau, who I think is almost definitely going to be like a top 64 pick. I think he's definitely going to be selected in the first two rounds. We're talking about a six foot six, uh, six foot seven, actually now 210 pound center, um, right handed, uh, once face offs pretty decently, is extremely physical and loves to throw the body. Um, but he was playing U18 AAA hockey, like basically high school hockey. With St. And- with St. Andrews College um, up until two games ago when he got called up to the Seal Falls Stampede in the USHL. I watched his first USHL, USHL game, and it was a, a complete mixed bag of results. I mean, this is a player who's clearly still way behind the play mentally. And in the top two rounds, you're looking for players who, even if they're playing their first games at a, at a new level, at a higher level, you want them to be able to stay above play mentally. And Nitorno just simply is not. Um, he's a big guy, loves to throw the body, really physical, um, could play the game uh, off the puck fairly well, but mostly what you saw from him off the puck was just blowing the zone every chance he got and trying to get breakaways, which is that the style of player you should be at six foot seven? Um, I don't know. Um, definitely the shooting is a plus. I, I saw some intricate details in his ability to just go from lifting sticks to shooting in one motion pretty well. Um, but he's still figuring that out as well. I feel like sometimes he he over he trusts the length of a stick a bit too much, which can be an issue. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of concerns with this game overall. He's not dynamic. He's not necessarily a good skater. Not necessarily good hands. He doesn't scan. Doesn't try to find passing options. But listen, this is a six foot seven center. Like he's he's right down Bill Armstrong's alley. Like this is a this has a this this picks. I mean, this player has everything that the Arizona Coyotes want in a player. He just screams Arizona Coyotes. So I would not be surprised to see him pick, even in the first round, if Arizona gets like a contender's first rounder. Like, I would not be surprised at all to see that happen. I just do not see it with Dinitono so far. I'll definitely watch some more tape as the season goes on and he gets more reps in the USHL. Like, there were some things that I'm pretty sure are just a result of playing at that new level, but... If after five, six games, I see the same Dean Letourneau, like we're going to have an issue here because he's, he might just not be in, in my, in my top 92, like a, he might, he might just not be in my top three rounds. Like we'll see where that goes. But for the moment, I see a third rounder at most out of Letourneau. And if you really want a big guy, he's the big guy among forwards. But I just, outside of that, like, I don't know. That wraps things up for today's show. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day and leave us a rate and review. It helps the channel out a lot. For your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Lockdown Sports Today. through a 24-7 news channel that runs on YouTube that you can check out to get updates about everything sports related. And make sure to tune in for our next show as we talk about some 2025 NHL draft eligibles. This has been Hattie Kalakesh with Sebastian High, and we hope you tune in next time.